morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 17, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, today marks the close of the liturgical calendar's second act. The first act is in Advent and Christmas, and in that first act of the liturgical year, um, God is introduced to us, particularly God's investment in creation, the world, the future. As Eugene Peterson says, God moved into the neighborhood in John chapter 1. The second act of the divine drama we have been living into since January the 6th with, began with the drama of the three wise men going to Bethlehem to see this little baby that had been born, to pay homage to Jesus with gifts. And the season of Epiphany began on January 6th when these wise men came looking for this newborn king, and they found the Holy Family in Bethlehem. They had an awareness. They saw this new king of the Jews. And the season of Epiphany has been this series of biblical texts which we have been revealed. The, G the person of Jesus has been revealed to us as well as what is valued and important to Jesus. That has been revealed to us as well. Think Sermon on the Mount like we've been looking at over the last several weeks. Today is the very last Sunday in this season of Epiphany when Scripture flips on the floodlights and highlights the billboard telling us exactly, with, without any doubt, who Jesus is and who we are dealing with in our stories. You see, unless we... As church, unless we fully get the point of the second act of the liturgical year that we're finishing up with Epiphany, we will not be able to fully understand or appreciate the third act that's coming up. And that's the season of Lent and Easter, the Passion. Yes, it's hard to believe. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday. Matthew begins to flesh out clearly in chapter 16 what his story of Jesus is about. Chapter 16 in Matthew's gospel is, is a pivot point. It's here that the full mission of Jesus gets put out there. And Jesus is talking with his disciples and asks them, have you been around anybody that's had an epiphany of me? He asked them, who do, who do people say that I am? And, and the disciples will say, well, Jesus, some think you're John the Baptist who came back to life after Herod killed him. Others think you're an Old Testament prophet like Elijah, Jeremiah, or, or Ezekiel. And with a twinkle in his eye, Jesus looks at the twelve, and he pushes the point a bit further. Who do you say? that I am. How have I been revealed to you? 
And then here we have Disciple Peter with a momentary flash of utter brilliance. He blurts out, I got this. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And, and now as, 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 as readers of the text, as audience watching all this drama unfold, we're going, yes, we're clapping, we're cheering. Peter got it right. Finally, someone in Jesus' inner circle gets it. They get who Jesus is. And as readers of the text, we're excited about this. Oh, Jesus is thrilled too. He is so happy and thrilled that Peter uh, figured it out. He gives Peter a new nickname. You're the rock. You're the rock, Peter. And Peter's beaming with pride. He's so happy with himself. And then in just a few more verses, Jesus, now that they have had their epiphany, begins to narrow it down. He speaks plainly to his disciples. You know, y'all, that we go to Jerusalem, things are going to turn south real quick. I'm going to be prosecuted, persecuted, arrested, beat up, killed, and then raised in three days. And then Peter, who had this incredible, brilliant, aha, can't keep his mouth shut. Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. We're not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus whips around immediately and tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're hindering me. Whoa. The big chill. Jesus then goes on to say, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Now it's right here we arrive at the final scene of Act 2 of the liturgical year. It brings us right up to today's scripture in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, just six days later, that is after Jesus had a come-to-Jesus meeting with Peter, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John and led them high up on a mountain all by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I, I, will, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they all fell to the ground, overcome by fear. But Jesus, he came and he touched them, saying, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one there except Jesus himself alone. 
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, now tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Indeed. Matthew is writing, remember, to a primarily Jewish audience. And he has woven into our text this morning several uh, references, uh, little morsels that the Jewish listeners could pick up and grab and eat. Um, Remember, he's writing to a community in the late 1st and 2nd century. And they would hear these words of six days and Moses went up on the mountain, and they would think of the text that Nick read earlier. They would think about how Moses went up with Aaron, Hur, and Joshua, just as Jesus went up with James, John, and Peter. We have this whole cloud image of surrounding the mountain with the presence of God. Oh, yes. Yes, the people would understand these connections with, the, with their scriptures. But if we're not careful, like Peter yet again, we will get wrapped up and focused on the wrong thing about what just happened. How do we prevent from missing the point of this story? What is the point of the transfiguration story? What are we supposed to get from this last great act of Act 2 of Epiphany? Now, our first inclination is to be very cerebral. We want to look and focus at the specifics on what took place, thinking, wow, that is pretty crazy. Wow. But if we did that, if we looked upon the mountain and tried to describe what had happened and put it into terms we can relate with, it would be an exercise in missing the point. In other words, our critical minds want to figure out what is going on with Jesus right then. The Scripture says he had a metamorphosis, literally a transfiguration. He changed in appearance from inside out right before their eyes. Now, in my little mind, I'm I'm trying to envision rationally in in ways that are most irrational. You know, what does it mean? You know, I'm going to the Starship Enterprise, and, you know, Captain Kirk's getting beamed into the deck, and you see the thing happening, and it's changed from these particles into a human being. Is that what's going on in the story? What's going on with Jesus? And... Instead of wondering, could this really happen, I suggest that we change the question. Let's not focus on, could this really happen, because if we change the question, we will discover a different answer. Instead of, could this have happened, why don't we ask, why did this happen? Why did the transfiguration happen? Now, Matthew's gospel, as I mentioned, was written for a fledgling new community of Christ followers in the late 1st, early 2nd century. They were going to be the genesis of what we call church. We are born from this group. Now, remember, the early church did not have what we call as the Bible. 
We, we forget that sometimes. It had the Hebrew Scriptures that we call the Old Testament. And that's about it. Throughout the entire Old Testament, Matthew's listeners, Jewish listeners, they're Hebrews. And as they would hear Matthew and they heard their sacred texts, the Old Testament, they were told over and over and over again, there is only one true God. Worship God only. Likewise, you are to be obedient to that one true God and listen to what the Lord says through the commandments and the law. This was hammered home hard over and over and over again, beginning with Moses, with giving of the law, and then the prophets reminding the people to go back to the law. The message was loud and clear. The Lord God is one. Obey Him. So, if you're a first or second Christian, century Christian Jewish person who's trying to live a good life, follow the traditions that have been handed to you down for centuries, you are now being asked to worship this man, Jesus? Where is that in my scriptures? It means that you as a first century Jewish follower of Jesus, you have to have your own metamorphosis. You must undergo your own transfiguration and change from who you were to whomever God is creating and leading you to be. And so it is with you and me. We encounter the why of the transfiguration, and you and I are being drawn into the story to ask, what metamorphosis do I need to have? How do I need to be transfigured to be taken from where I am to where God dreams me to be? Beloved, we need to remember that Moses and Elijah were not transfigured in our story. It was only Jesus whose appearance changed. The epiphany was not that Moses and Eliza showed up. That's not it at all. The epiphany was that they remained the same. They remained as Elijah and Moses. While the man Jesus changed before them. Matthew is trying to shout loud and clear to the young fledgling church that Jesus was not to be held up as just another great teacher, another great rabbi like Gamaliel or Hillel. He was not to be thought of as some new great prophet. No, Jesus in our story is lifted up to be the very living presence of the great I Am Moses encountered on Mount Sinai. Wow. If you're a first or second century Jewish follower of Jesus, that's mind-blowing. And frankly, even for those of us today, to hear such a thing is one of the scandals of the particularity of the Christian faith. Transfiguration Sunday is reminding you and me 
that Jesus cannot be compared and contrasted to other religious leaders or teachers like Buddha, Muhammad, Moses, Gandhi, the Dalai Lama. Christian faith believes that yes, he was a human being like those gentlemen. But he is more. He is the Lord Himself who dared to become enfleshed a human being like you and me. Now, how does Matthew get this point across that Jesus is not just one voice among many? He does it as the choir so beautifully sung. He did it through the voice. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. The voice didn't say, listen to Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. The voice didn't say, obey the law and heed the prophet's writings. No, the one voice spoke. And the only ones left are Peter, James, John, and God's beloved Jesus. And the voice said, listen to him. Listen to him, to to the three early church leaders who were going to build the church. Listen to Him, the early Christian church was told. Listen to Him, you and I are told. One scholar writes, for what is significant about this account is not the special effects, but what affirms and is special about the story is that it affirms the early church's foundational belief about Jesus, namely... He is not just another exceptional human being or prophet or teacher or example. But he is the decisive representation of the divine, the source and judge of life. That's the scandal of particularity of the Christian tradition. This last epiphany of the season, of the epiphany season, is to remind us exactly who Jesus is. What exactly He taught. Think Sermon on the Mount. That's what knocked the three disciples off their feet. That's what filled them with holy fear and awe. And that's what it should be doing to you and me, church. That's what it should be doing to you and me. But take heart. The transfigured Christ of God reached out to those three quivering disciples, gently and touched them and said, get on up. Don't be afraid. Come on. And filling them with new confidence, he led them down the mountain to what was coming next. Friends, as you and I leave today, I want, us, I want us to go filled with the hope and confidence that as we begin our journey down the mountain of Epiphany and walk through the valleys towards Jerusalem and the Passion, I want you to hear Jesus speaking to you as He touches you. 
And he says, beloved, get up. Don't be afraid. Let's go down the mountain together. And I will help you undergo your own metamorphosis. And become the child of God you are capable of becoming. Beloved, that is the good news. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, sometimes there are things in Scripture that just make us shake our heads and scratch them. We don't understand them. Lord, help us to focus on what we need to focus on, and that's the why of this text. It's to point out that you are like no one else. Oh, Lord, as Jesus was transfigured, the disciples were also undergoing a metamorphosis of what it meant to follow you. Lord, as we come down the mountain of Epiphany, as we head into the valleys of Lent, strengthen us, enlighten us, remind us to not be afraid, but Holy Spirit, please change us from the inside out that we will be transfigured before those that see us in this world. In Christ's name, amen.